So there's this um, fighter pilot. It's a very high-speed plane, very high-tech plane, and he's, and he's flying incredible speeds. And um, what happens is he's flying at incredible speeds. Uh, he wants to climb up, and so he takes the joystick lever there, and he pulls it back because that means he goes up. And as he pulls it back, acceleration of speed, he crashes into the ground and he's obliterated. And when they did the test on that, they said, how can a high-speed fighter pilot who's really highly trained in a really high-tech plane, when he pulls the joystick back to go up, how can he crash into the ground? They discovered the reason he crashed into the ground is that he was going so fast he didn't realise that he was flying upside down all the time. So when he pulls the lever back to go up, he went the wrong way and he's wiped out. You know, when Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, he came with a message that was so radical and it was so radical because the whole world was flying upside down. And he came with a message that was upside down to that, that was meant to put it the right way up. Does that make sense? And it was so countercultural that actually it was so threatening that eventually the message that Jesus brought cost him his life. Because actually a lot of the people in the world that were flying upside down were happy to stay flying upside down. His message threatened them so they killed him. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the message of Jesus 2,000 years later is still countercultural. We still live in a crazy world that's flying the wrong way up. And the message of Jesus is not only an upside down message, it's also inside out, back to front and upside down. Just to make it a little bit more confusing for you. The message of Jesus is inside out, back to front and upside down. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which is like the kind of greatest hits of Jesus, two volumes with extended versions. Okay, so that's basically what it is, the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6 and 7 of the, the book of Matthew, you get this great teaching where Jesus says, this is what it's really like to fly the right way up. This is what it's like to live inside out, back to front and upside down, the right way as God intended. And last week, uh, we looked at the games we play because actually Jesus is talking to a group of people who are living life and expressing faith and it's become like a game. And he's saying, this is the game that you're playing, but this is the right way to live. So last week, we looked at Angry Birds. Anyone here last week? Angry Birds, have you all dealt with your anger issues this week? Thank you for those of you that were very helpfully sending me lots of Facebook messages this week. Very helpful, not. All right, those of you that sent grrr, okay, and, and the individual who's obviously got far too much time on his hands uh, to take the time to take my face and superimpose it on an Angry Bird picture and then go viral all around the planet, all right? I'm really grateful to that. That hasn't caused me any anger issues whatsoever. But <laughs> that last week we looked at Angry Birds. This week we're going to look at Trivial Pursuit. Because you see, when Jesus is speaking to this group of people on the mountainside, he said, do you know what, guys? You've taken this one and only life, this great faith in God, because they were God-fearing people that believed in God, most of them there. He says, you've taken this and you've made it like a game that's trivial. And trivial in the English language means meaningless, worthless, isn't worthy of your time. And yet you have made this game of faith, if you like. We made faith like a game that's like a trivial pursuit. You've taken what was meaningful, purposeful, transformational, and it's become like a game that is now trivial. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take the six cheeses of, the, of Trivial Pursuit, okay? Six categories, and we're going to look at six of these things, categories that Jesus speaks into. My aim is to create within you a desire to ditch playing games and to commit to living a life that is inside out, back to front, and upside down. Now, I want to just say a, a little couple of caveats, really. 
If you're not a Christian this morning, firstly, we are really glad you're here. You are really welcome here in this church. We hope you understand what we say. We hope you feel that it's a place you can come back to as well. But primarily, what I'm going to talk about now is really geared towards Christians, those who already made that commitment to follow Christ. So you can sit back and relax and you can say, I'm really glad that I don't have to do that because you haven't committed your life to Christ. But also, it will give you a window into what it really means to be a Christian. And here I need to say something else to you. I want to apologise to you on behalf of Christians everywhere because sometimes we've not lived out the life that we say we believe in. Isn't that right? And many people are put off Christ because of Christians. And I want to say to you, do not be put off Christ because of Christians. We get it wrong because we're human, okay? But what I'm going to explain to you now is how we're meant to live. And by God's grace and help, this is how we want to live. And this is how we are able to live. But sometimes we get it wrong. So please, if you're not a Christian, please don't get put off Christ. Because some of us sometimes have not lived up to the faith that we believe in. We're on a journey. We haven't made it yet. We're still trying to live this whole life out. Now, if you are a Christian this morning... Um, my wife um, teaches at a university in Birmingham. She teaches nursing. And uh, one of the, she's doing a big core module at the moment, which is like one of the basic modules that all nurses need to know. And it's really exciting about professional values and ethics. So it's not all that exciting. And one of the things she says to her students is this. Sometimes when you come to lecture, it will be like chocolate cake. Sometimes it's like cabbage. All right, you don't want to eat it, but it's really good for you. Well, I've got news for you folks. Today, you've got cabbage. All right. <laughs> This is cabbage teaching. It's not chocolate cake. It's not going to sell loads of CDs, loads of down podcasts. But this is really important if you want to live a life that's worthy. Yeah? So this might not, you might not prefer chocolate cake. You can't eat chocolate cake every week or you look like me. All right? Or Simon, if you eat chocolate cake every week. All right? Something that you said it first with a joke. So this is cabbage. It may not be as exciting as chocolate cake, but it's really good for you if you want to live a healthy life. So we're going to look at the six uh, cheeses, if you like, six categories. And just to keep you engaged, I'm going to read a question out. Here go the glasses. So blue, the category blue stands for what in Trivial Pursuit? Geography. Okay, so what does the eagle on the US seal grasp 13 of? Any Americans in? Arrows, who said that? Round of applause there for Ned in the middle. American. Okay, fantastic. So our first category is using empty words. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. And we'll stop there. Jesus is saying, this making oaths and vows has become a trivial pursuit. And what he means is this. You see, basically, there are two ways of making oaths. There's the kind of frivolous way where, you, you know, you say things like, oh, I swear on my mother's grave and cross my heart and hope to die and all that. But then the Jews have developed something called evasive oath making. And you see, they believe that if you use the name of God in an oath, it was binding. But if you didn't, then it wasn't. So they basically made an oath and used God's name when they really were committed to it. But if they weren't committed and they wanted a bit of wriggle room, they wouldn't use God's name. And they thought, well, God won't see that because we haven't used his name so we can break our oath. And Jesus said, you know what? Wherever you are, whatever you say, whatever you do, God's there. So don't say you're going to do something and not do it. Don't try and wriggle out of it. Basically, the worthy pursuit that Jesus is saying is be consistent. Do I hear an amen to that cabbage this morning? Be consistent. It says it in the Bible. Look, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
Wouldn't that be amazing if we went out into our world, into our colleges and unis and schools and factories and workplaces and homes and communities and people knew that when we said we would do something, we will. We don't need to make any kind of convoluted oath because we're consistent. Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? (laughs) The second one, pink, stands for what? Entertainment. Whose Dead Ringer album, so I want to hand here, whose Dead Ringer album was the first by an American artist to enter the UK chart at number one? Meatloaf. Meatloaf. Round of applause there in the middle. It's going to get less and less, that round of applause as we go on, I can see it. You have heard that it was said, our, our category here is tit for tat. Look, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Jesus is using this, we talked about this a little bit last week. This was called the Lex Talionis, which was a code of law, a code of conduct, which is very ancient. In fact, it predates a lot, a lot of the early part of the scripture. And it's kind of come into um, the, 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 the Jewish framework for how they were going to cope and how they were going to, their conduct towards people that hurt them. Originally, the Lex Talionis was, was a good thing. It was like the beginning of mercy. It was to limit vengeance. It was to make it proportional. So Dan steals from me. I don't wipe out Dan's whole family because that's disproportionate. So Dan steals, I steal. It was meant to be the start of a proportional response. It was never meant to be the private individual thing. It was, it was, it was in, within the shrine of the, uh, uh, enshrined by the law. It was not really meant to be literal. They often assigned monetary values to what was happening. And it was a progress towards grace. But by the time of Jesus, Lex Talionis had become tit for tat. In other words, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. And Jesus says, that is a trivial pursuit. That's a trivial way to live your life. The, 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 the worthy pursuit is to be bigger than that. So when you get hurt, and actually it wasn't meant to be more physical hurt, it's more verbally. Okay, When you get verbally hurt, you choose to be the bigger person in how you respond. That's what this is really all about. You choose to be the bigger person in how you respond. Let, let, let's read on. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, how many of you have heard this passage of Scripture before? Yeah, it's it's quite famous, isn't it? Most people, if they're not Christians, know this, okay? A lot of people know this. Because this is one of the bits in the Bible that non-Christians say, that's why I'm not a Christian, Because that sounds crazy, doesn't it? If anyone slaps you on the cheek, give him the other one. If anyone sues you for a shirt, give him your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go an extra mile. We don't understand the context that Jesus is speaking into. And I want to try and explain it. I haven't really got the time to fully explain it, but I'll do my best. I'm going to use Simon and Dan, like I did in the first service. So you can put Facebook down for a minute, Simon. and just. So I want you to imagine these... I'm joking. No, it really is. <laughs> These two guys, okay, are in dispute. And one of them is going to slap the other. I think, no, I think Eve should slap you. Otherwise, it will be a real mess on this floor. Here. So, the Bible says, if someone slaps you, okay, on the what cheek? Right cheek. Now, in the Bible, it's always right-handed. Because if you're left-handed, that's kind of like very disapproved of in the Bible. I won't go into all that, okay? And if you're left-handed, I'm really sorry. God loves you, okay? So don't, don't worry about that. It's an old ancient thing. Don't, don't worry about it. So if, now, the other thing is that you're always going to slap with your right hand. Because in Middle Eastern culture, you don't use your left hand for this. You use your left hand for other things, which I won't go into, all right? But I think some of you have got it. So you're going to slap him on the right cheek. How is he going to slap him with his right hand on the right cheek? 
Now, if you go, that's quite a convoluted way to do it. So what he's actually going to do is he's going to slap him with the back of his hand, just, just for the fun of it. <laughs> oh, I want to do that film thing. So he's going to slap him with the back of his hand. Now, here's the thing. That's a double disgrace to slap someone with the back of your hand in this culture. So Jesus says, if someone slaps you with the back of their hand, which is a double disgrace on the right cheek, what do you do? Well, you see, up to this point, the flying upside down way to live was two options. You fight back tit for tat, or you fly, you run away, you say you want nothing to do with it. What Jesus is saying in a worthy pursuit, be bigger people, is look for the third way. Don't fight back, don't flight, look for the third way. And what he says is turn to him the other cheek. So turn to him the other cheek. Now what's going to happen? Dan's got to slap him with the other cheek with the right hand. How's he going to do it now? It's going to be... Um, now at that moment, when it's a palm... That in this culture, when you have a pawn someone, this is double disgrace. But what this means is that you are the same level as me. So all of a sudden, he's got a problem. Because he doesn't feel that about him. So what does he do? Are you with me? You getting it? So all of a sudden, what Jesus is saying, and, and the people that heard this got it. We don't understand it because we don't live in that culture. You know, when someone does an insult to you, you just show the third way, which is actually, we're on the same level. We're kind of human beings together here. We're going to look for a third way to resolve this. Rather than fight or flight, there's got to be a bigger way to sort out this conflict. Thank you, guys. Do you want to slap him? Just No. <laughs> and then what's amazing then is Jesus then pushes the analogy on and he says, okay, someone wants a shirt from your back, give him your cloak. And that's interesting because guys in this kind of culture would have had plenty of those shirts. They were domestic shirts, okay? And they could give a shirt away, but they only had one cloak. And that cloak was the outer garment in the day, but at night they'd often sleep in that. And Jesus is saying, listen, if someone wants that from you, and they're going to sue you for it, you show that you're bigger, you give them what's really important as well. And then he pushes it even further, it goes even crazier. If someone forces you to go to carry something an extra mile. Now, that's very important. That's from uh, the verb there for force or coerce has got history and it's from the Persian Empire. And it, and it basically was the Persians set up a way of um, doing the royal mail, okay, basically delivering parcels and letters from A to B. And what they did was that, they, that it, the journey, the distance, they, they divided it up into stages and the stage was a day's travel. And then they had their guys, their royal male postmen and postwomen, and they would take that thing for one stage one day. Now, if their person phoned in sick or was unavailable, under the law, they could coerce or force a member of the public to go that one stage and carry that parcel for them, but only one stage. The Romans then picked that up and brought it into, in, into Palestine. And so the Jewish people were part of this oppressed situation where they knew that any day that the Roman guy phoned in sick, one of them could be coerced to carry something for a mile. But Jesus said, if that happens to you and you're put upon to do it under the law, do you know what? Go to. Go to show that you are the bigger person. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus is saying, listen guys, don't just do it. And actually, I think the real heart of this is it's all about attitude. You know, when you feel oppressed, when you feel victimized, when you feel not taken for granted, what is your attitudinal response to that situation? Are you going to fight back tit for tat? Are you going to run out of the way? Or are you going to show that you're the bigger person? That's what Jesus was getting at. Amazing. Third category, yellow. History. See if anyone can do this one. Who did Tony Blair meet with in March 2004 after a 20-year deadlock in relations with his country? Gaddafi, who said that? Correct, Luke Strickland, amazing. Now, this, this is the one. 
interesting. This, this one we're looking at, drawing defined circles. I think this is the trivial pursuit that Jesus is getting at. Because he says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, this is like the Mount Everest of Christian ethic. All right. How many of you know it's easy to love people you love, isn't it? But to love those you don't, love those who hate you, who are indifferent. And what we do is we draw a clearly defined circle. These are the people who are in my circle and these are the people who are not. And Jesus says it's easy to love those who are, who are, who are in your circle. In fact, sometimes that's difficult. Let's be honest. Christmas is coming. Uh, but I, <laughs> Not looking at anyone in particular. Uh, but, then, but, but actually loving those who are not in your circle, who you've drawn another circle around, that's worthy. That's worthy because what you're doing when you love there is that you're showing that this really is love. You see, the Greeks had four different kind of words for love. And, and, and the New Testament is written in Aramaic and Greek. And uh, one of the words for love is, is where we get like family love. Then there's romantic love. Then there's friendship love. Then there's agape, this amazing word which is sacrificial, supreme, self-denying love. That's the kind of love Jesus says you should use for those who are not in your circle. And I think the worthy pursuit to give our lives to is to be radically loving people and love those who are not in our circle. Now, I'm not, Jesus is not asking you to love your enemies in the same way as you love your friends or family because it's a different type of love he's talking about. This is not a text for passivism neither, okay? None of this is a text for passivism. That's not the context of this at all. And this is not an invitation to allow people to do whatever they want to you. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is about engaging your will, choosing to act in an opposite spirit to reaching out beyond your circle to those who might hurt you or even hate you. It's choosing to react differently, to be radically loving. And how do you do that? The Bible says you do it by beginning to pray for that person. Why do you do it? Because it's a sign of maturity. It's a testimony to the world and you are never more like God than when you're loving I had a couple of opportunities this week where <laughs> I was in the situations where I realised that I'd drawn some pretty defined circles around people as well. And I was in a situation where all of a sudden, right out the blue, okay, what am I going to do with this now? What, am I, what is my choice? And the great thing about the Word of God, you know when you're preparing it to give to people, you know the da- most dangerous thing ever for people like me, Simon, Dan, anyone that teaches from the Word of God, is when you think that you're preparing for everyone else and it's not about you. It's always about us and it is always about me. And I felt God like saying, Leon, you've done that. You've done that. You now have a choice of how you're going to react and respond to that person. You've drawn a defined circle, but I think there's a worthier way in which you can live. And that's to be radically loving. Be careful what circles you draw. Do you know what? Here's a thought. God widened his circle to include you. You see, God had a clearly defined circle as well. It's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And everybody else outside that circle was not welcome because we were all tainted with what the Bible calls sin. And God is a holy God and he couldn't be in presence with the whole of humanity that were now infected by sin. His circles were pretty widely defined. But God so loved the world that he rubbed out that circle and he widened it to include every single one of us, including you and including me. So if God could do that, I can do that for other people and so can you. Okay, the next three that we're going to look at very quickly are all linked. And this fascinates me. I love this. They're all linked because they're linked to the three pillars of the Jewish faith. The three great pillars of the Jewish faith are giving alms to the poor, prayer and fasting. So Jesus, uh, who really knew what he was talking about, links these three by speaking into these three. 
And in all of these three uh, pillars of the Jewish faith, the games that people were playing, the trivial pursuit, he uses the word hypocrite. How many of you have ever heard anybody say, oh, Christians, they're all hypocrites? Anyone ever heard that? Come on. Uh, You know, when someone says that, I want to say to the person, you're absolutely right. And do you know what? We've got room for one more. We really have, honestly. But that's not a loving thing to say. So I don't say that. I think about it, but I don't say it. But you see, the reason that they say that is because they think that a hypocrite, okay, is somebody who says one thing and does another. But actually what happens in the vast majority of cases for us as believers is that we really want to live a certain way, but we're human and we don't quite do it all the time. And so we do fail and we do mess up. That doesn't make us hypocrites in the way that Jesus was referring to hypocrites. Because when Jesus spoke about hypocrites, he's thinking about something particular. He's thinking about that. He's thinking about a mask that Greek actors used to wear. This is where we get the word hypocrite from. You see, this is different from me uh, you know, trying to live a life and occasionally messing up. This is where I make a deliberate choice almost, or a choice gets hardened, and when actually I live like that all of the time, and it's not genuine, and it's not real, and it's not authentic, and I'm living my life out behind a mask. And that's what Jesus is thinking about when he starts to speak to these people about the trivial pursuit games that they're playing. And so we go on to the brown. Brown is art and literature, the one where we always go quiet, let the clever people do it. So this is a seasonal one here. What did my true love give to me on the ninth day of Christmas? Someone said it. Nine ladies dancing, fantastic. So Jesus, uh, in this next category, I'm going to call this giving to be seen. Giving to be seen. Be careful, he says in chapter six, not to practice your righteousness in front of others, righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, the ones who are deliberately playing that mass game in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. I tell you, truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Now this excites me. In the temple, there was a chamber called the Chamber of the Silent. And what happened was money was given by people into the chamber of the silent where nobody knew where it was but the priests. And the priests would take that money that was given in secret and they would give it to the poor. But by the time of Jesus, people didn't give a rip about the chamber of silent because whenever they gave money, they wanted everyone to know that they were giving money because they were just giving to be seen. And Jesus says, do you know what? That's a trivial pursuit. That's a meaningless. You can do the right thing, but with the wrong motive. Now, I'd rather do the right thing with the wrong motive than the wrong thing with the right, do you understand? But actually, motive's important. Jesus says, it's a trivial pursuit to give because you feel guilty or because you feel coerced or because you want other people to think, oh, how spiritual they are. Look at all that they give. Jesus says, a worthy pursuit is to be genuine when you give. Not how much you give, but to be genuine when you give. You know, let me just say a quick comment, which I hope isn't political. I don't want it to be political. Our culture in the West attitude to giving to the poor is concerning at times. Because what we often do, and you'll hear this a lot on TV and stuff, is you say, oh, why are we giving all this aid to the, to the developing world when we are in the economic situation we're living in? I understand we're living in times of economic squeeze. But let's take a step back and let's remind ourselves perspective is king, isn't it? We might be in an economic squeeze, but compared to the vast majority of the world, we are ultimately rich. And I hope and pray that our country, this country, and you might not be British, and I apologise, but I hope and pray that this country continues to be a leading way in the way of giving foreign aid. 
that we don't get so selfish and so self-centered that we think, oh, we're in a squeeze, which can often mean we, 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 you know, we can only have one foreign holiday this year as opposed to two. Whereas often the countries we're giving to, we're giving to try and keep people alive. So let's get some perspective. And actually, interestingly enough, as a response, it's amazing to see how churches respond. You know, even this church, which I think this is an amazing church, we respond as well to the poor locally, not just overseas. The last six months, we have fed 739 people through our food bank, which in one sense is scary that there's 739 people in the last six months in this town that have needed food. But it's great that we're able to respond. One month alone, we fed nearly 200 people. There were queues of, of adults and children out of the door of the food bank, which is a terrible tragedy, but it's great that we're able to respond in the midst of that tragedy. And how we're going to respond today in a few minutes is that we're going to take an offering for the Philippines. And we're going to do that not to be seen, not to be, not impress anyone, but out of a genuine response to want to help. Okay, we're nearly there. Not green, science and nature, definitely the one where I go silent. Which popular cottage garden flower takes its name from the Greek goddess of rainbows? Iris, fantastic. Who got that? Somebody out. Iris, no, no, John Cochran. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Iris, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the fifth one we look is praying to impress. Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. You see, at the time of Jesus, prayer had become a trivial pursuit. Now, you wouldn't think about it looking at it because it had become formalized, meaningless, connected to certain places, long, the longer you prayed, the more spiritual you were and done to impress others. But Jesus says, no, when you pray, a worthy pursuit with prayer is be devoted. Be devoted. When you pray, he says, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. That's what he's saying. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. How many of you find prayer difficult, a challenge? I know I do. But prayer, Jesus said, that's a worthy pursuit is this. It's intimate. It's an audience of one. It's not in front of loads of people. You can do that, but ultimately, but real prayer, okay, is, is intimate. Audience of one. It's relational. It's you and your father. You're not praying to your boss or your CEO or the headmaster. It's your father. And it's expectant. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So your father is on, like, on tiptoes wanting to bless you when you pray. Be expectant. Now, the application for me is that we had a meeting this week with some couple of national guys who are experts in the whole area of uh, young adult culture, 18 to 25, 26 year olds. And we're fascinated by that because we really want it. We feel that's a very important issue that God uh, is talking to us about at the moment. And as we were talking to these guys, one of the things that one of them said was this, do you know, most young adults now, Christian young adults, the very first thing they do in the morning when they wake up is they reach for their phone and check their Facebook status. That's the very first activity of the day. And we all kind of ran the table, tucked it a little bit and said, oh, these young adults, you know what I mean? Well, you know, why aren't they into Leviticus first thing in the morning and this? And, and, and when I walked out of the room, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, say, Leon, get off your high horse, you do that too. And if you don't check Facebook, you check the Villa website just to see if we've been relegated yet. Or, or you check the news or you check your emails, but the very first thing you do is often not towards me. And I thought, oh God, you're really right. <laughs> so I've committed now, <laughs> this week, it's only been this week, to say, Lord, when I pick my phone up, because that's where my alarm is, the very first thing I'm going to look at is none of those things, but it'll be, I haven't got your Bible on your phone. 
I'm just going to look at the verse for the day. So before I do my devotion time, just going to look at the verse for the day. As I wake up, nothing else. Because Lord, I want to start the day with you, not with anything else. And that's only fresh for me. You may be much further on. But this whole thing about, you know, prayer being intimate and relational. And it's about me and my father. He's on tiptoes wanting to bless me. He's more excited to meet me than I am to meet him. Let's make it a worthy pursuit. And finally, the last and final thing is orange, sport and leisure. All the men can start playing the game now. So here is the orange question. Which football team won seven FA Cups, seven FA Cups, five League Cups, one European Cup and still the most successful and greatest team the Midlands has ever known? The answer is Villa. They're correct. You've ruined my joke there, whoever did that. Thank you very much. So the last thing is fasting to prove. Fasting to prove. When you fast, Jesus says, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. We don't talk about fasting very often. Some of you have never heard a sermon on fasting. You know, fasting in, in the Bible is connected to various things. Three of the main things is it's a deliberate attempt to draw the attention of God. It's saying, God, I so want to draw your attention. I'm going to go without in order to draw your attention. Secondly, it's a deliberate attempt to kind of show that our penitence or our brokenness is real. We're kind of showing God just how much we are. And thirdly, it's a vicarious thing. In other words, we do it on behalf of others. You know, there are other people who are in need and they can't pray right now, but we're going to fast for them on behalf of them. But you see, by the time of Jesus... It had become a trivial pursuit. It was all about proving how serious and spiritual you are. It was all about you. So the Jews used to go around looking constipated and, and saying, oh, I really want God. But actually, it's all about them and proving how spiritual they are. And Jesus comes along and says, you know, when you fast, make it a worthy thing. And being worthy is all about being hungry for God. It's not about proving how great you are. It's about showing God how hungry you are for more of him. So what can or should you fast from and instead seek God? I know one of the things that I need to fast from is this, is the iPad and the phone and the social media and all of that. How many of you would agree with that? We all need to do that. Because you see, if I can see, see fasting is a fantastic thing. Because if I can't go without something, then I'm not using it, it's using me. That's not a tool, it's a master. And so fasting shows what's really important to me is not all that stuff. I can live without Facebook statuses for one day. I can't live without God. I can live without knowing what the Twitter world is saying about really inane uh, things, but I can't live without the breath of the Spirit. And fasting is all about going without because we are hungry for God. So are we playing the game of trivial pursuit? I know this is cabbage teaching. This is solid stuff, but are we playing the game of trivial pursuit? Are we using empty words? Are we responding tit for tat? Are we drawing defined circles? Are we giving to be seen, praying to impress and fasting to prove? Or have we made the decision that we want to live lives that are worthy, are worthy pursuit of God and his kingdom? We want to be consistent. We want to be bigger in how we respond. We want to be radically loving. We want to be genuine. We want to be devotional. We want to be hungry. We want to live inside out, back to front and upside down. You want to do that? How do we do it? Two things. Firstly, we have to make a decision to do it. 
We have to choose to say, I am going to choose not to respond this way. I am going to choose to put that down. I am going to choose to live this way. But then secondly, the choice isn't enough. Secondly, we need to surrender to the source and the power that is greater than us. Because I know I can't live that life. I can't. I can try really hard. Do you know what I mean? And, and I can do it through sheer will and obsessive discipline for a little bit. But I can't really change it because my motive won't be right. If I'm really going to live that right, I can only do it as I surrender to the source and the power that is greater than me, and that's the Holy Spirit. Do you know you can't live the Christian life? You didn't know that, didn't you? Do you know that there's nobody can live the Christian life, not even Dan? You know that, don't you? Nobody can do it. The only person that's ever lived the Christian life is Jesus Christ. And the only way the Christian life gets lived in us is that as we surrender to him, he lives his life through us. So if we want to be people of a worthy pursuit, we must choose to engage our will and to act, but then we must surrender to the source that is greater than us. Because you can do it through gritted teeth, but that isn't what Jesus is talking about, because he's talking about inside out, back to front and upside down. We don't only do the right thing, but you kind of get to mean it as well, as the power of the Spirit lives at work within you. Why don't we pray? Lord, we pause before you this morning God if we'd have been sat on that hillside and we'd have been hearing these words I wonder how we would have reacted I wonder when we would have identified with what you were saying I wonder whether we would have felt a bit indignant and a bit who's he think he is talking to me I I wonder how many of us would have put the mask back up I wonder how many of us would have said actually yeah do you know what that's, that's me, that is. That's, that's how I've been living. Trivial. Meaningless. And I wonder how many of us would have said, but God, I don't want to live like that. I want to live worthy. I want to respond. I, I, God, I want to live from the inside out. Upside down. Back to front. The right way up, actually. And God, I want to choose to live like that. And Lord, I want to surrender to your spirit. Help me, God, to become more and more the person that you want me to be and deep down I want to be as well so God the next time I get slapped I'm not going to fight back and I'm not going to run away I'm going to find the third way God the next time I get a chance to give I'm not going to just give to show off but I'm going to give out of a genuine heart God the next time I get a chance to pray God I'm going to do that relationally to my father who loves me who's on tiptoes ready to bless me God, I'm going to live a life of worthy pursuit. I choose it and I surrender to the power that is greater than I am. God, by your spirit, would you fill us today, I pray. Would you fill us as we surrender to you? And Lord, now as we finish our time together by giving, God, I know we're giving in public, but God, we're not giving to be seen. God, we're giving out of response. And God, however tight our finances are, God, there are people thousands of miles away from us who we'll never meet whose lives have been decimated by this typhoon. And all we can do is pray and give. And God, just because that's all we can do, actually, God, that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to give. So help us, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.